creators, just create, just design. Like my father told me, it's discovering and creating for the sake of creating. It's the best gift you can have. The rest, the money that came, comes from creating and all that, is just a bonus. And if somebody tells you, hey, this guy already did it better, so what? My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talked to Daryl Dominguez. We talk about creating stories, player stories, and keeping them front and center in your campaigns. We also talk about creating and publishing your own works. So this should be a good episode for you writers out there. Before we jump into the episode, I just want to thank all of my listeners and give you a few ways that you can help support the podcast. The first way is just by listening to the episode. So congratulations, you're already helping me out. You can also interact with the podcast in any way, like, share, all of the usual things that also greatly helps me out, and it's super easy to do. The next way you can help is by interacting with the community, hanging out in the Discord server, playing or running games on the server, or joining in our design contests that we run. The third way you can help is by being interviewed or letting somebody else know that they should get on the show. All you got to do is contact me via Discord or Twitter or wherever, and we'll get some time scheduled to get you in on an episode. If you're still looking for ways to support the show, you can always use one of the affiliate links in the show notes for any of the RPGs or books that are mentioned. They link to either Amazon or DriveThruRPG, and if you make a sale for anything on one of those sites after using a link, then I get a small percentage of the sales. That's a great way to support the show while also getting something for yourself. And finally, the last way is you can support me on Patreon or buy me a coffee. I will have links in the show notes on where to go for that. And that's just a simple monthly donation to help fund future design competitions and equipment purchases and stuff like that. Thank you again to all of my listeners. I feel like we've been growing a really awesome community here around tabletop role-playing games. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have Daryl Dominguez with me. Welcome, Daryl. Hey, Brock. Glad to be here. feel great to be here with you on this podcast today. Awesome to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space? All right. First of all, uh, I am Daryl Dominguez. I am Mexican, so a lot of the things that you guys uh, might have lived over there in the United States or some other parts of the world. Here in Mexico, it was really different. So a lot of my experience with D&D is way different than a lot of the guys over there. Also, I'd like to say I'm the creator of the Scion, a uh, copper bestseller, and the proposal of long rest pack magics, along with a handful of other races and stuff I put out that's been kind of popular. And about my starts in D&D, I'd like to point out, like, so that people f- feel like they are, they can relate a little bit, is I was bullied way too much in junior high. I, I could be, you could say I'm the type of guy that felt really bad, several serious depression in that time of my life, high school and junior high, because of that. And a friend of mine. Uh, showed up and said, hey, dude, I see you like fantasy. You Would you like to play this weird game? I was like, sure. We skipped, we skipped the whole day of, of class. We didn't go to school that day. And played in a homebrewed version of D&D. I didn't know what the hell I was playing. I was just throwing dice and doing, doing weird things. And I was like, oh, I want to play a, a knight that's looking for his princess. And you can imagine every typical stereotypical fighter that's the typical guy that you can think of basic, like they call fighter man. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there. I, I, I loved it. Uh, great time I spent with, with those guys playing that game. Then it kind of broke off because life happens, you know. And I got presented to... Uh, 
really, really, really good game. I'm one of the best games ever that I played. It was Baldur's Gate 2. Now I'm talking this back in '98, so you guys can imagine I'm fairly old. <laughs> <laughs> With second edition rules and all that stuff, uh, I started playing that, and I love the story. In that game, you play as the ball spawn, and you can see there the epicness of the level of a story and everything. I was so hooked like a drug on that. Uh, my mom saw that I was hooked on that kind of fantasy stories and all. And, well, then I discovered that my mom was what you might call a golden, golden age geek. She was buying all the fantasy books that you can imagine from the 1960s. Uh, Dragons of Pern, for instance, she was, she was way into it. Lord of the Rings, uh, a lot, a lot of fantasy stuff she was into that. and. Also Superman and comics and all that. And she saw that, hey, one of my kids finally has, <laughs> likes all this stuff. <laughs> so we started, she fed that, that uh, interest in me. So time came up. I met, I met another group of people who saw me playing Magic the Gathering and said, dude, you seem to really like to create stories. Come on by our group. We'll play that's the point when I learned, learned that I was playing D&D on junior high. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's play this. Let's, let's see what's happening. My first character then was a, bar, was a bard. Because on Baldur's Gate game, I loved that bard could do anything. Yeah. And, and it was like this master of all. Well, sorry, like this apprentice of all, master of none. If you see the story of how in second edition the classes were made, you can see a lot of the history of why, for instance, a ranger has a spell casting. For instance, why the bard the, the bard was has to gain proficiency with everything. And sort of that and you start seeing all that story when you when you play those old versions of the game. And from there on I got into Vampire, the Masquerade, Call of Cthulhu. Cult. Uh, I got into Shadowrun, Cyberpunk 2020, and uh, most of the also GURPS. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm also. I was way into GURPS, so I know a lot of that. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of things that from those old school days. I stopped playing around. I don't remember the end of the of fourth edition. I stopped playing because. I moved away, I moved to, uh, to Mexico City, and I started, and all the guys that I knew that played well were just not available. Remember, this was before virtual tabletops were even a thing. <laughs> so I started playing that. I started, uh, forgot that, and about during the pandemic, I found a group of guys who were looking for a player, and I was like, uh, sure, why not? I haven't got nothing to do. Well, let's, let's play. <laughs> started playing again, and from there on, the itch that I had in all the editions that I said, dude, I played for so long, this edition is lacking serious stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, but there's it's missing so much from the other editions. Let's start with Psionics. It's missing Psionics, which if you see 2nd edition, 3rd edition, 4th edition, Psionics has always been a very complex system, but integral part of it. In 2nd edition and 1st edition, you can see that there's even the... Oh, God, I forgot. Dark Sun, where psionics are the main thing. Magic is like, oh, God, no, don't do not do magic. And you got also the Gishas, the guys that were Gish, which came up, which the word Gish is also a subtract with, from the world, from the Gitsara and Gish Yankee, because those guys were like mixes of magic and sword fighters. And that idea was missing. In third edition, you had the Dust Blade. In 4th edition, you had the Spellblade, and in 5e, you didn't have anything. So that's kind of what drove me into the idea that, dude, this, this is also giving creators a lot of place to expand if you know the history of what's missing. Right, so you, you actually have a pretty broad uh, experience with the different systems that you've played. So for 5th edition, you're seeing these kind of blank spots that they missed and you're kind of filling in those gaps which is with the new rules and mechanics yes yes totally because 
uh, when you see the like, let's go with the spell swords. When you see the way they started in third edition, the dust blade. The dust blade was this really, really integral, interesting guy, which could channels. There was something called touch spells. There's it's also here in five E, but in third edition it was very integral. There were hundreds of spells that were range of touch. So imagine that you could channel them via your sword. So I was like, dude, that's that's the thing that I love. The sword guy that's also chan- doing spells. He's not good in both, but he can do it. Bard never fit that fantasy for me because it's also kind of like, yeah, you got to be doing music and all that stuff. And not my guy. I, I'm more of the, also remember Child of the 90s, badass antihero. I'm going to be the big bad guy and I'm going to beat you up. You know, <laughs> but I've got a heart of gold. <laughs> so yeah, I'm so, I saw all these things missing. For instance, psionics. Psionics was, like I said, this big integral thing. If you see the lore of the Forgotten Realms, you can see God. There's so much stuff there that psionics did. That why why didn't they do it? I saw the missing, and I was like, great dude, let's go with this. Never came out. So missed opportunity. Then you see, that, for instance, and as far as mechanics, you can see in Shadowrun, there's something called exploding dice. You got everything is a D6 in Shadowrun. So you throw the dice, and if you land, I believe, a six, you can grab that die, roll it again, and add that, uh, that other, if it's a success, add it as another success to the roll. And if it landed as a six, roll it again, and so on and so on. Explaining so how can a bullet turn from a simple gunshot to a or a scrape to a simp, to a deadly bullet? So those kind of things I've seen it, and I was like, okay, we're missing these parts. These are great in Vampire the Masquerade. The use of blood magic, of blood potency, and all that you saw it. And God, the stories. I, I, I've always been focused on the story mostly because if you see the lore. For instance, in the world of darkness, it's so beautifully done. At least the old school, the new things I haven't read it, but the old stuff was really beautiful because you had the the way they explained how each clan worked with the other. They they how they saw each other, how everybody was trying to backstab the other guy because they wanted to be on top. And then you saw the guys over the, and then you saw that if you read uh, Werewolf. You saw that how the werewolves were in the war with the vampires and why and everything. Then you had the hunters with hunters were like, everybody's against everybody. Why would have to fight against these guys? Everything was so beautifully connected. Everything was so elegant at this level of lore that it was missing. That I've been seeing in the modern RPGs, a lot of that is missing. You can see third edition. We had the we have whole freaking book dedicated to sp- Spells, a whole book, 200 and something pages dedicated to spells. You had the Rules Compendium, which was a collection of spells. We had another book called Magic of Incarnum, which was this sort of smoky thing that you could create objects from and place them in your body, give you more power. You have also the books that were like, which one? Uh, God, I'm forgetting. The Book of the Nine Swords, where if you read that, you can understand 4th edition, and you can understand the fighter, because if you see the third edition fighter, you see how this fighter went from being a class that just got bonus bonus feats at every two levels, I believe, to a class that became like you got maneuvers, stances, uh, strikes, and all that that you had to mo- to move around and and calculate spells like things. So when fourth edition comes, you see all the shadows of. The Book of the Nine Swords. And when 5th edition comes and you see the Battlemaster, you see all the shadows of that 3rd edition book in the Battlemaster. So there's a lot of things going on over there that are missing. And if you read a little bit of the history of, let's not just say of TTRPGs, of D&D, you can see how much stuff, how rich the world is. You can see guys that the lore channels, and you can see the guys that are talking about why 
why when Ayo got split in half and became Bahamut and Tiamat, then the, their blood also created the rest of the dragons. You can see that, oh, wait. And then these guys came over, their blood created the dragons, and the dragons created the dragonborn, which were originally eggs. And then you had uh, all these kind of things that were connected. As you can see, why the dragonborn came to be. Why the why did the whole draconic lineage of idea of sorcerers came to be? Because sorcerers, the idea was that they are the childs of dragons in third edition, if I remember correctly. So they had all this draconic lineage and all that, which was really, really interesting for them to, for those guys to explore. Um, yeah, the lore and stuff is is super cool, and it's it's awesome that you have such a kind of a deep uh, knowledge of a lot of that stuff. Because I came in um, primarily with fifth edition, and I don't and I don't have all the books and stuff even, so um, I'm kind of newer in that, uh, like getting into the lore of kind of the Forgotten Realms and the, the D&D genre. I mean, I love fantasy, but, you know, still just don't quite have all of that history there. Yeah, I mean, if, for instance, let's start with, like I said, Baldur's Gate is, uh, is the first thing I knew about, officially, about D&D. Do you see me? Do you read? Do you see that? those stories, the Baldur's Gate stories? I have a soft, soft spot for that city, so descending to Avernus, I have to DM it. That actually, I just finished it on Monday, <laughs> so that's a that's part of another thing. Uh, uh, something else I'll go later. But the Bandus Gate, if you see that's the story about that city, the Ballspawn. The Ballspawn saved that city because of the lack because there was ore was getting this ore and steel was getting destroyed. Uh, before this, we need to know that Ball died. During something called the Time of Troubles, where the gods became human because the gods were more interested in getting one over each other. So they, so Ion, the over-god, told them, you guys stop screwing around, you become humanoid, and walk amongst humans. Bald noticing this, he says, okay, I need to create as much progeny as I can because I'm going to die. He knows this, he knew this, and he foresaw a prophecy where he would create children who would become murderers because, and destroy a lot of things, allowing him to return in one of his children. So the ball spawn, it's, it's the story of the ball spawn. It's all about, hey, this or thing is, this still thing is happening. There's problems here. There's, and in the background, you start hearing about the, over, the ex- excessive war there is. There are, people are killing each other and uh, because of everything. So the Ballspawn discovers that all this problem with the steel, with the wars and everything, it's all happening because Sarbok is plotting to kill everyone so that there's so much murder so that Ball can return or he can become Ball. Then it turns out that Ballspawn is the... that you are the the child of Ball also. So all this goes goes on in in the story. And as you can see, all those, all that story linger on from second edition, third edition. You can see how that small, that huge story of a video game came over to, for, came forward to show us how Baldur's Gate is the city of adventure of evil that's marked by the spirit of Baal. You see in the book of Descent into Avernus, you see it, and it's just this small thing that talks about, hey, yeah, there's. The the cult of the dead three dead uh dead three and you can be like, and who are the dead three? You have to then go on Wikipedia and all that stuff and look up on YouTube and all that's that those channels to under to get all this big picture information, which is something that if you want to create or play in in the Forgotten Realms, you gotta read all that stuff, just because it there's so many stories that you can tell that are about connecting all those dots. Um, so I, so you said you just finished DMing Descent into Avernus? Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just going to say, so since you're, you are very uh, story-focused, so I'm just kind of curious how 
what your style is for running those games and kind of what um, what other things you focus on? First of all, I focus on giving most of my players all started in 5e. So the information and lore I got, they don't have it. So I try to to shape things into so that they in small bits so that they get it, which is also kind of great for me for telling those stories because it's like things you hear the story about uh, World War World War One, and you can find it there. Reading small, getting those small bits that you read from books, from stories that that you get from your grandparents that tell you, yeah, my my great grandfather or my dad was there, and just start putting up pieces about uh, what happened in the past. There's something here. There's a story here in Mexico that happened. There was in the 19, in 1968, the government uh, went into the private-owned uh, university, and we, uh, well, it was this huge deal. It's still talked about because there were, the government shoot a bunch of students and all that. But when most of the guys that I went to school with, their their parents didn't know anything about that. They just, what they saw on their parent, their grandfathers tell them and stuff like that. My parents, since they are old, they were in that and they told me the story of what happened there. So that same idea about passing history through spoken stories, through stories of what happened, is how you go about telling the story of what's going on. For instance, in the with the Dead Three, I put up a lot of things that were about the history of Baal with Baldur's Gate. How the Dead Three have this tie, believing that this is their city because Baal called it uh, called it that because his the biggest child he had was there. So we have that part. Then the whole awareness you can put the fall of Sariel like this story that the 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 parents tell their children about falling from grace and all that, and you can start putting up the pieces to your players about the small little pieces that they know. You have the, the whole story because you can read about it everywhere, and then you start fitting it to your players. Then when you show them that you take them to Avernus, in my case, you can see that, hey, guys, so this whole story was wrong, for instance, or this whole part was correct. Oh God! Then this has to. Then we need to explore this way. You need to to go this part. It's not easy because you might say, "Yeah, I put them enough information there for them to deduce." And usually, like a friend of mine said, they're not players are not gonna think like you got like like <laughs> you. So you gotta go and and fix everything. And oh yeah, you know that place you were looking for? It's not there. It's over there. <laughs> So I, th- I think there's something about when, as a DM, when you have all of the information, uh, it's easy to kind of draw lines between like, okay, this, you know, these things make sense. And then the players, you know, maybe miss one of those key points. And then they're kind of just off on the wrong direction on what they think is, is actually happening. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and you, you need to adjust and think fast. Uh, one of the stupidest things that happened with me during Avernus was this. The guys broke down their infernal machine. They needed to fix it. And I was like, who the hell will fix an infernal machine for the guys that are against them? Then I came up with this whole idea of a bunch of goblins that were working in Avernus because they got dragged there because they didn't know, but they made a pact with the devil. They just signed a piece of paper and were like, yeah, sure, God, sure, dude. <laughs> And so they started fixing the the infernal machines and had a blast because these guys were like total lackeys and their names were like 1 to 25 with one of them (laughs) being called government. So government had to do nothing, just tell the other guys. Then the guy called HR had to just whip them into shape because they were given a whip by my players. So it was a whole (laughs) stupid... See, it was one stupid comment from another, which turned into three sessions, and I was like, oh god, this is becoming such a fun part of the story. But later on, you gotta say, okay, yeah, I had enough fun with this thing, so let's let's go back to the main story. 
But one thing I'm missing to say, and this is the most important thing for any DM, for anybody that's trying to DM any written adventure, and it's you gotta keep your player's stories front and center. The adventure that you are DMing is just a backstory. The main story is, why the hell did this guy, uh, let's call him, uh, what was, Dalbert, came into hell? Yeah, Dalbert came into hell because he made a pact with his goddess that he wanted to kill devils. So, but at the same time, he didn't know that we were signing his soul to be damned because, he, sorry, he wanted to kill demons and he signed his soul to be damned into Avernus and now he's trying to get it back. And the only way he then suddenly knows about getting it back is, why don't I just try to convince Sariel to turn good, give me back my, my soul, and we can forget about this whole, this whole story. <laughs> so that's one part. So you have to put up stuff that are for that guy's story. He, he faced some demon, for instance, that was some guy that he was facing all the time. And in the end, he killed him. Then you got guys like uh, one of my guys, he, he wanted to make a Hell Rider. He was the front and center Hell Rider. Suddenly, I saw this story about uh, Rhea and I was like, dude, I don't need Rhea. Rhea can go beh- stay behind and give all the information that he had, that she has to my player. And when he gets to hell, all the time he was hearing stories about the last Hell Rider, the last Hell Rider. That he's down there and he's killing demons and he's and devils and he's trying to get back Elturel to his to the material plane. And suddenly he went to hell. He found his father, his mother, his brothers all killed by his brother who made a pact with a devil because he wanted to save them. And he became a devil, so everything went to hell from there on. He had to kill everybody and for us, his family, then the whole idea behind this, this guy's story was that he was scared of losing everything. So I made him lose everything. And in losing everything, I made him face the reality that he didn't need to fear losing things. Because in the end, he, had to, he was doing everything for, for a greater purpose. He had to, to keep on the big picture. And in the end, he became the ruler of Elturel. So, yeah. I like the advice of keeping the player's stories as the main story and then, or kind of the main focus. And then the uh, module or the adventure, whatever you're doing, whatever you're running as kind of just the background story. When you start up a campaign, um, do your players come to you with, you know, like, I kind of want this to be like my story or the focus, or how does those. How do the stories of the players kind of work their way into your long-term campaign? First, I told my players, get have a concept. You need to have a concept. What do you want to be? You want to be a holy man. Okay, let's play a holy man. Okay, you want to be a demon hunter. Let's go with the demon hunter trope. You know, have a concept that's one, one uh, that's it's a short phrase. You want to have a short phrase. Then... Then when that's written up in the uh, in the character sheet, I, I told my guys, okay, who do you want to be? Who's this guy? What what drove him to be this this in the paper? <clears throat> and for instance, you, you had this guy, this paladin, which was like, yeah, I want to be total badass, and I want to be like in contact with Tiamat, and I want to sign my and I want to free her. That's why. Uh, that's my whole purpose in life. And I told him, dude, that's just not it. Because if you want to free Tiamat, then you're playing the wrong adventure. That's, uh, that's the Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat. Think of something else. And he was like, okay, let me, then let me be a, a, a trained cultist. I want to be a cultist. Okay, let's go from there. And why is he a cultist? Oh, because he was... Trapped by the cult from childhood, thought that he had to be in favor of the Dragon Queen. Everything was the Dragon Queen, and his whole life was around the Dragon Queen. So, why? And I told him, why is he adamant of being in Elturel? 
And then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that part of the Horde of the Dragon Queen where where the story goes over to Eldorol? This happens. It's okay, yeah. I want to be the guy that was that stayed behind. I want to be one of the trapped prisoners. And I was like, okay, cool. So my whole start of the adventure got shifted. Thank God, because the start of uh, Descending to Auburn is bad to the bone. <laughs> it, my recommendation, if you want to play that story, start with Fall of Elturo. That's the best way to start the adventure. So in Fall of Elturo, they go to the, to the encampment and everything, and they find this guy there that's guiding them to the, where the encampment of the cult of the dragon is, and they're, he's guiding them. And that, uh, he's helping this guy, and he starts to help the Hell Riders, and then Eldoral goes to Hell, and he's like, he even told me, this is perfect because when El- because now I can go into Hell with the idea that I'm going to free the Dragon Queen. His story was cut short because he said, I asked him, what what do you want? What's his main desire of this guy? He was like, to free the Dragon Queen, to do what the other guys couldn't do. So when they went to hell, he f- saw the Dragon Queen, he met the, ma- the main cult, and that's when I told him, you have to make a choice now. You either denounce the Dragon Queen and continue your story with the Descent into Avernus, or we create a new character, because this guy's going to stay behind with the Dragon Queen. And he stayed behind. But that's how what I'm saying, you see, that you got to work with your guys. What are... Why did this guy get here? Why did this guy do is doing his this thing and ask them what do they want? What do they desire? Because that desire is what's gonna drive your adventure. That's what's gonna tie you need to tie up to the adventure and that's gonna feed your story. Um and when you made the player make that decision on are you gonna stay or and make a new character or are you gonna you know, denounce the Dragon Queen. Um, was that a, did the player feel like that was a satisfying uh, kind of like ending point for that character? Oh, totally. He was happy that that at least that this dream, this desire to free up, the to stay behind with the Dragon Queen was, was achieved. I even gave him a small what's going to happen later because I'm, Right around the time that this happened, uh, a little bit later, the whole the whole Doom for Gotham Realms books came out, and when I was like, "Yeah, your guy's gonna do that," you know, and you hold this whole story, yeah, that whole story that your guy freed up, it's gonna happen in my Forgotten Realms. He was so happy that that hap- that turned out that way <laughs> because he wanted to free up. So yeah, he w- it's he was happy. That's a that's a good payoff at a later time to have accomplished your goal. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know the next adventure that we play in the Forgotten Realm, it's gonna it's gonna be have to do with they need to face this guy now, and he knows it. He knows that his next character is gonna have, have to face the consequences of freeing the Dragon Queen. That would be a really uh, just a really fun holdover as a. As a, looking at it as a character to just have that knowledge um, going into a new campaign. Totally, I totally. That, that's really cool. I, I don't hear... Uh, it's, it's hard to say... Um, I don't always hear about like holdover stuff, and a lot of times people will do... They'll either continue kind of one campaign on for like ever, or they'll do completely different campaigns, and, and sometimes there's not always a lot of the doing the campaign in the same area just at a different time. You know, and having the intermingling of characters and stuff. So that's really cool. And that's part of the teachings that my mother gave me about fantasy. Because, uh, for instance, the Dragons of Pern books, you can see it all there that the first book was, uh, or even something a little bit more popular to now, to today's culture, the Foundation series. I think that's a better idea. Because the Foundation series, you get the first book that's, self-contained story about a certain era. You get the second book that's a self-contained story about the same place, the foundation, with another set of characters, which you need to know, So and, and so forth. You get all that. So in my, in my point of view, 
an adventure needs to if you want to play an adventure and have your place feel satisfied it's always great to visit the old guys but not visit them like making it the main focus you know make it so that hey you know what your character did here that small detail that he did in the first adventure yeah now spade off and it turned the huge ball that now is uh, destroying a whole town but wait how because you did it wrong and stuff like that it's always <laughs> it's always fun to do i i also agree with that uh the main focus thing because um uh, there's a couple of movies that i've watched where the old characters seem like they are the main focus and it really should be on the new and up upcoming characters um but yeah yeah i mean if you see <laughs> the new the new the old matrix that the old the, the new matrix movie should have been i could go on for the uh, on this topic about <laughs> about it but the main idea is you see the you see the matrix it should be a uh, passing off the torch you see oh you see the star wars movie then the third trilogy it should have been passing of the torch torch to the new guys to the new generation to ray and everything do not it was great great and i think that was the best thing that Harrison Ford could have asked for. He said, I'm coming back from one more film, but I want to die. Great! You gave it all for them. You just made it so that this guy and he had a significant death and, ev- death and everything, and it was, in my opinion, was more impactful because you know the whole story about Han Solo by this point, and, you can, and it was like he died and his death was meaningful. He shouldn't have been all that prominent on the film, but at least he fed up with this. He was fed to the story. Right. So that you can get invested on the next generation's idea. That they screwed it up on the next two movies. Let's not <laughs> get into that. <laughs> yep. And that's exactly the series I was thinking of, too. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I love Star Wars. Uh, yeah. St- stories aside. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, like your your publishing process here and or experience, I guess. Um, so you have the Scion class on um, Drive Through RPG. Uh, I looked through it a little bit. Um, how long did it take you to put this all together? Oh God, that was it's been it, a long series of iterations. Ah, uh, the first post was around. You can find it over there in Reddit. It's the Scion. It was posted over there. Uh, no, uh, sorry, I'm think I'm starting to remember because yeah, the start of 2021, uh, I started to I posted it. I worked worked on it because first of all, like I said, I love geishas. I love the idea of magic swords or spell swords. So. To create anything, any anything, anything, be it a race, a subclass, uh, a class, or an adventure, it starts with an idea. It doesn't and like the movie Finding Forrester said, it doesn't need to start with a totally original idea. It doesn't matter if five hundred other guys came up with the same idea, or if let's say Hemingway came up with an idea and you about a man fighting a whale, you can say. Cool. I want to do that, but I want to give it my own personal twist. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that. Please, to anyone that's starting, doesn't just come up with your fantasy and your own twist. And if everybody tells you, yeah, that that guy made it better than than you, doesn't matter. Because to create, that's the main point. You can start by creating something, and if you see the first iteration in Reddit about the Scion, it's bad. It's way too OP. I'm giving up too much stuff to them. It's like 500 things that you need to keep track. And it was wrong. It was badly done in that part because I didn't care about what 5B was doing. I did it from a third edition, fourth edition perspective. Sure. Uh, and I and I did it with what I with what I wanted. You you know, you always need to start with that idea. Create, give it everything that you wanted to have. Then. I start nitpicking away, finding out this, finding out the main fantasy, finding out how it should be. For instance, you see the Scion and I, st- and it started as a bunch of scribes that were hunting the evils of the church. 
and I always like the topic of religious stuff over there in the fa- in fantasy. And I'm way and I was way into the Witcher that time. You can see it all over the class. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I started with that, and then started nitpicking, cleaning it up, and everything. It's not a one uh, one day. It's not a two uh, two months. It's pro- a long process to get a class. If you ask me, the sign is still not there. But at least I'm at a point where I clean up the fantasy. I defined it. Yes, again, you can see there's a hundred, hundreds of spell swords on the DM's guild. There's a lot of guys who wanted to convert the Witcher. Yeah. What's your unique, your unique take? Make it your own. Give it a series of things that are that you say, yeah, this is what I'm making it unique for. Uh, for instance, you can see the Divine Sensual, which is the main focus, of, the main offensive feature of the Scion. It's taken, it's based on the 4th edition Avenger. <laughs> and it's those time, type of things which you need to say, which I'm not afraid to say, yeah, I'm not an original, very original creator, but at least I'm nitpicked everything. You need to polish it off, have it good through, have a good idea, have people see it. Not only your friends, but people who you know are objective. You can say, dude, I made this. Please give me a non a god to honest critique about it. And do not feel attacked. That's the main part. See through the style people are saying it and go forth with the cre- with the creation aspect, start cleaning it. Uh, see what they're saying. For instance, if somebody tells you, "Yeah, that that's not original," okay, why it's not original? Because this is the same mechanic done by X Y Z creator. You can see, okay, what he's telling me, he's telling me that I need to think something different. I need to change this. Okay, change that a little bit. Come up with another idea, another inspiration. And there's a great guy that you can check out for ideas of the whole design process uh youtube channel dedicated for that which great guy i honest to god think he's he's one of the best minds of for designing uh instructor boy taron pounds he's uh has one of the best minds to create so most most of his dreams are master classes of how to do class design so you need you need you need to see how the whole process is, and for instance, he says you need to think of the mechanics and have it have a fantasy that is unique that you don't have to that it's not replicable with any other class, and that's to- totally true. Uh, and that's why, for instance, if you see the scion, which was this kind of weird thing, which I didn't have a full idea of what it was in the second version. In the third version, you can see it completely like i went in a whole other direction and said okay i'm gonna go with the idea of this guy's not a paladin he's not this he's like the guy that walks the gray line between i'm good and i'm evil at the same time and i don't care so yeah that's the main idea behind creating for that one then (laughs) once then i went over to create other stuff like the long respect magic was an experience for the scion I wasn't glad with the idea of half-packed magic that I had created originally. So I started playing around with math, looking at spell points, and noticed a pattern that you could convert the spell points into spell slots. Spell points get refreshed a long rest. So spell points could be refreshed with... Could, could, sorry, spell points converted into spell slots could be refreshed at long rest, removing the need for short rest, refresh, and exploring that mechanic that they have in packed magic. And all that question led me to create this. Then, for instance, when you you saw the the races, <laughs> the spell touch came out as the worst idea ever. A friend of mine wanted to play. He said, I want to be the child of Mistra. In a short adventure, I was like, what? Yeah, I want to be the child of Mistra. And how would you go around to do the, a child of Mistra, Brock? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure. Exactly what uh, I, I told him. Give me two weeks at least to think something. We came up with the idea of how this, this guy came up to be. And if Mistra is the goddess of the weave, 
She needs to be able to give their child magic, innate magic, not sorcery. So this whole idea came up to me like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's go to this guy. Jesus, hell, Christ, what? this guy's going to be OP. No, 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 let's keep this. Let's put this thing in, calculate balance, detect the balance of everything. And then you go to the place that you go, that you say, let's play test this to death. And again, you gave an objective mind and feedback. Because playtest is not going to tell you all the time you saw things balanced. Because if you are like my guys, my guys, whole objective is making overpowered stuff and making 50 points of damage per attack in level one. Le- so, sorry, level by level six. And you're like, oh God, no. <laughs> so you got to throw that idea. But playtest is most around the, do they like it? For all the other things of balance, there's math. Yeah. If they ever, if you ever thought that math wasn't useful, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we tested that part and it came out really great. Then for another short story, another DM, another player came out to me and said, I want to play a plant. And I was like, why the hell don't I have not, uh, regular players that want to play like, yeah, I want to <laughs> play a <that> human. <laughs> so... That one we changed a bit with the Eladrin. Then I went like, I can do this. I totally can do this. And the Timberfolk was born from that idea. We changed his whole character to uh, to the Timberfolk, and he loved it. O- original version was vulnerable to fire, and he was like, uh, Can we make that we're in Avernus? So I don't want to be scared of fire. So I removed that from the whole <laughs> from the whole race. But yeah, I mean, so a lot of your uh, creations actually are out of, again, back to that idea that there are holes in 5e where your players either wanted to play something that just didn't exist for them, or there are classes that didn't exist yet uh, that you wanted to to fill in the blanks. Yes, 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 totally. Because for instance, I'm going to say, I'm going to plug in the, the thing that I'm working on. Right now, I'm working on my psychic class. For and that's because I believe, one, we need at least two classes of, of intelligence. I did already the science, and I'm working on psychic. And the psychic, I got into the mind that with all the, pl- with all the holes that we have from science, si- science and psychics that were in the previous versions, we could do this, and we have already a mechanic for for these Intashas, it could totally balance out. And that's my problem with a lot of the proposed psychic, science, mystics, and all that, is that they don't seem to play at the same mechanic of ener- uh, psionic energy dice that Tasha proposed. And it could be a class. So uh, right now I'm working on that idea, just writing it down, because that's another thing you need to do when creating. Start writing down. Do not overthink. Let the typing be your thinking, you know, just write as you think and, and then go through it again, correct the wording, go through it again, uh, check for tiny errors that of balance that do not make sense and then start reviewing. And that's the main project process that I, that I do with all, with everything. Sure. So, so really, it's just get all your ideas down on the paper, and then fine tune it from there, and just keep going back and getting feedback and getting you know cleaning things up until you get to the point where you're like, "Yep, I can. I feel comfortable releasing this to the internet." Basically. Yeah, and for instance, to quote uh, another great creator, uh, Heavy Arms, he once said. The reason that he didn't make uh, classes was because it was a long and tedious process that takes years to play test. So if you say, dude, this isn't fully play tested, uh, there's a lot of things that I need to polish again. Don't, don't fret about it. Polish it, maybe somebody else, for instance, will play your class, will come back with feedback and say, dude, I think these guys found this and this and this combo that could break it or... For instance, the other day, some guy came up with the spell touch and said, hey, uh, there's this whole mechanic around seeing magic and this and, and magical stuff. And he said, uh, does that count for potions? Does this count for this, 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 and that? And I was like, okay, let's 
changed that a bit. And and I was fairly certain the spell touch was really well polished and turned out it wasn't. I, there was somebody for that found a mechanic that should have been there. Um, and when you do playtesting, do you tend to do a lot of playtesting yourself or do you push it out to people on like Reddit? Or how does that look for you? That's the th- that's the part that is kind of... I'm a software developer for starters. So I, uh, as a testing, there's one thing they teach you in college. That for that you are your worst your worst tester. <laughs> you can do certain aspects of testing, but you have a bias. You will always be biased to do things one or the other way. So when with that in mind, my testing, my personal testing is focused on doing math because math is subjective. For instance, the science tensure, how was it balanced against? Okay, so it's based on, on how the progression is for the ranger. How much damage does does a ranger can do? And and based off on that, you can go up and detect certain aspects that I can push the limit a little bit. And then you can spend your... You can also do a small smite with that. So how much is that smite up to... Uh, gonna cost so you need to see then compare that part of damage mathematically with how much damage uh paladin can make and you need to be mathematically objective that's what i say mathematics are what you need to play test then yeah you also need to push it to other guys because again you can make something for you but if you want to publish you're doing for everyone else so yeah send it out to other guys to play it i Push it all over to my players, for instance, the Zion. And I was like, yeah, God, dude, you got to play this. The best class you're going to play, it's tailor-made for you. It wasn't it was made for me, but who cares, right? <laughs> <laughs> he played it. He found some broken stuff, so we worked, th- worked it out. Some other guy found some other stuff that was... I pushed it, and he loved the flavor. For instance, he loved the Sinitor flavor. That was his favorite because the, that subclass is all about sacrifice, self-sacrifice. Sacrifice your hit die, sacrifice your... Uh, not in the way of a blood hunter, but you know that, that idea of you are the guy that's supposed to get hit. And the sure. more you get hit, the more you, the, more you are, the greater you are with, the, with your attacks. So this, this whole process went on like that for them. Um. I'm a software developer as well, and given uh, if you give a user two options, they'll find a third. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then you know what I'm saying. What I'm saying that you 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 usually gotta think what nobody's thinking and put your exceptions, your try catch exception uh, exceptions somewhere that you know it's not gonna fail. And still, the user is gonna find a way that's gonna fa- that's gonna make it fail. <laughs> Um, so when you do, uh, like the layout and stuff for these, so getting a little bit technical, I guess, Yeah. um, what software do you use to, to make the PDFs? Ah, I'm, since I'm a software developer, I know my way around CSS. So I use GM binder and the home brewery. One thing I must say about that is why do I... Is that a great importance for creators is that the idea that we shop with our eyes. What does that mean? When you go through the, through the mall, you don't, sh- you don't shop at a store because, uh, well, yeah, you do shop later on because of prices. But the first thing you do is you look somewhere that says, oh, that, those clothes are pretty. I want to see, I want to see what else they got. And then you start seeing what you like and then you start choosing by prices. It's always important to know that everybody shops with their eyes. So you you got to be important, uh, very knowledgeable about how to piece together a good design and everything. Have a good eye for art. And how do you get that? Oh, it's easy, simple. Go through, a, go through books and see what you like, what How's this put together that you like and everything? And if you don't have cash, because a lot of guys say, okay, I don't want to spend 
a thousand dollars, well, a hundred dollars with with a layout artist, then start learning CSS. Places like the Home Brewery and GM Binder give you a lot of options to to apply CSS there. So you gotta be very detailed of what you got, what you do, and all that, what you put there. You can edit it and modify it the way you want. And then there's guys like Nathaniel Rocks that put up their design layouts over there in the in the DMs Guild. And you can download them from there and use them, those art packs that have great sheets, great stuff. You can get art from Dean Spencer if you want. Yeah, you gotta spend money on that, but you can, it's only three, four dollars at the most, and then you can spend a little bit of or you can go with the G- DMs Guild and get their DMs resources, but you gotta edit them a little bit. So you gotta be, you gotta know your way around CSS. You gotta know your way around uh, Photoshop or any other uh, free software that allows you to edit pictures and a vector imaging software. So you need to start doing that. And how do you start doing that? Again, find what you like. Grab the the DMs, the DMs guide, the Sanatar or Tasha's and see, see the stuff that nobody sees, like the pages. You see that Sanatars and all the pages have small stuff in the pic, uh, at the top of the pictures that, uh, of the page that you go like, okay, yeah, there's a small button there and in the middle it's all white. Why? Because you gotta see white makes black contrast very a lot. So it looks cleaner, it looks better and it looks beautiful. So do you can see all those small details, the type of letter, how does it look? Does it look cool? What type of letters is doing? You need to start getting all those abilities by looking at what you like. I think those are some great tips for creators. Before we wrap up, uh, one more thing I want to say. There's marketing. I want to touch on a little bit on marketing quickly. Guys, it's hard to put yourself out there. One small thing: you, when you put something out, remember it's on the it's on the new newest releases on the DMs Guild. Or if you release there, which I recommend, if you are starting, because it's where you get noticed the most. Or if you got a YouTube channel, you can try to put up your own store. But I recommend DMs Guild. Put put your stuff there. Start poking around and uh, there while it's last, and that'll get your sales up. But once that's done, remember. Every Saturday is self-promo Friday. Put up your stuff there so people can see it. Help others out. Promote their stuff. See everything that you like, what you don't like. And give feedback to all that if you see it. And if not, well, say why you don't like it to the creator. Objectively and without fear of getting uh, backlash. Another thing is there's also work in progress Wednesday. Twitter is your great idea to get the word out. So start talking with other creators, start talking about them, join their Discord, join everything, and start talking about yourself. I know some people find it hard, but it's not that that bad, especially if you do it in good faith and with a little bit of humble heart. Uh, one other thing, well, uh, well, again, I'm going to say check out all the other creators that there's over there. Uh, for instance, uh, check out Indestructible Boys YouTube channel if you want to get into design. It's a must see for that part. Also, if you want to get from the player side of creation and how you can do different things with a lot of already contained ideas, Dungeoneer's Pack is also a channel that can feed you up a lot of that. He has a lot of ideas of how you can grab a simple magic card and turn it into a into a whole different idea with the current system. But yeah, that's mostly what I wanted to say before closing. Daryl, why don't you tell us uh, where we can find you at online? Okay, yes. I'm on Twitter. Most of the time, uh, most of stuff I put up for DMD, it's over on Twitter. You can find me there at ddarylldom. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me up at the DMs Guild. As Daryl Dominguez, there's all my stuff there. You can find me up on on Instagram, but my Instagram's fairly dead, I could say. Uh, again, as the Daryl Dom, and yeah. Oh, also, I'm the old. I'm one of those guy, old guys that are on Facebook 
but most of it are <laughs> Mexican stuff, Spanish Spanish speaking there. So yeah, if you want to follow, if you don't mind a sarcastic guy that publishes all in Spanish in Facebook, uh, I'm there also as Daryl Dominguez. Awesome. Well, Daryl, it was awesome having you on. No, thank you, Brock, for having me. And guys, final words, creators, just create, just design. Like my father told me, it's discovering and creating for the sake of creating. It's the best gift you can have. The rest, the money that comes from creating and all that, is just a bonus. And if somebody tells you, hey, this guy already did it better, so what? You're going to do it better than them. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.